Hi, and welcome to another episode of Garmology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. My guest today has a very good eye for clothes and an interest in films. Would you like to introduce yourself, Chris? Yes, I'm Chris, or Christopher sometimes. Laverty, I am a film and fashion and costume writer um, and consultant. I uh, started a website about 10 years ago looking at costume design and fashion in movies called Clothes on Film. And since then, I've contributed to books and I've written a book called uh, Fashion in Film and hopefully going to be working on a new title soon. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just a guy that, that spends a lot of time watching films and staring at all the clothes in them and then writing about them. That's me in a nutshell. Do you find this staring at clothes sort of gets in the way of appreciating other aspects of the film? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's totally ruined films for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, um, you know, I used to just watch movies and and, and enjoy them. But now um, I'm a real bore. You know, I, I will. I'm reading everything through the costumes. Um, it's why sometimes I, I just try and watch movies that aren't particularly costume orientated just so I can switch off for a little bit. Um, because it, it's now, yeah, I just, I, I have to resist the urge to sort of get a notepad out um, for a film and start making notes. And even if it's something I'm not intending to write about or no one's paying me to write about, I still want to take notes on everything I see. Um, and just, I'm, I'm lucky in that I've got to know a lot of costume designers um, that work on these films and I will make notes even in my head if I have to um, and email them and just, I just wanted to check about this jacket. It's really cool. And things like that. I, I will. Yeah. It's impossible to switch off. Um, I, yeah, it's, yeah, like I said, totally ruined it. You know, I used to love movies. I hate them now because they just work. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> you sound like a true anorak there. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult not to. Um, well, I mean, it's not just movies. It's television as well. Um, it's, I, I think that's a good thing over since I've started writing about clothes and movies and, and television. Uh, a lot more outlets, of, of, of media outlets, have taken an interest in that, that they didn't have really when I started writing about it. There's a lot more writers doing it now. There's a lot more articles uh, on costume designers and style. Um, it's a lot more talked about than – I don't think it's the niche thing it was when I started writing. It was kind of a, a little niche way of me looking at movies, and now it's it's part of the movie furniture, I think. And I suspect that there is a lot more effort put into costumes in films than we might possibly realise. Yeah, and, oh, that's something I'm, I'm always very keen um, to to talk about when I, I, I look at the uh, costume in film, is people, we don't realise, I, I never even realised when I started doing all this, just quite the amount of research and tinkering um, and work that goes into costume design. Um, and... And the process itself, I find um, very, it's it's different to what I expected. It, a lot of times you will, you could see a movie, like a period set movie, maybe Victorian or Regency or whatever, and people will on the internet pull apart the costumes and say, oh, but this isn't 100% accurate. People didn't wear these at that time. They didn't wear those at that time. And after speaking to the costume designers, um, 
it's not always them. Sometimes it comes from a director and I go, I don't like this particular style of coat. And it's like, well, that's what people wore. And he'll say, no, I don't like it. Make it looser, make it longer, you know, make it brighter. And, you know, the costume designers have to fulfill the director's brief. So a lot of the time I've, I've become a lot kinder to films that I've seen where I thought the costumes aren't 100%, say, historically accurate. Because I realize it's not all on the costumes. It's a huge collaboration that starts with the director and their particular view on what they want to what they want to film to look like which you know ties in neatly to to what we're chatting about today obviously guy Ritchie is a is very much a, an individual eye um on that type of thing hmm. before we get into the guy Ritchie part i did notice when you say the internet picks these things apart that uh, the crown and the use of their barbers there got a lot of attention from the, the sort of vintage waxed jacket brigade and uh, there were a lot of mistakes made. Oh, yeah. Um, that, do, do you know, that it, it's in regards to, you know, mistakes or, or whatever that you see uh, that, that people perceive in costume, um, the, the emails and the messages that I get, I would say 90% are from men um and it's about male clothing um and it's that women just seem to i don't know they seem to enjoy the clothes more and some of the 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 emails i've had from guys saying oh you know this particular coat uh that that did that didn't first appear until you know 1939 and the zip would have been like this and it's it's not called that it's called this and the correct and it's so bogged down in all these details i'm like you enjoy clothes you know i i'm all for I, I'm all for the rules and, you know, the correct terminology for clothes. Um, but even that is is not particularly accurate sometimes. You know, certain things are called uh, one thing in one country and in another country, it would be a different term for it. And, you know, things change over the years. Like, for example, say, you, you know, a crombie overcoat, um, you know, more often than not, probably what people are referring to as a crombie coat isn't exactly strictly a crombie coat but you know we just use it as a term you see that particular style of coat and you go oh, it's a crombie style that's it but guys just seem to um yeah I, some of the comments on my website are and emails and like angry emails saying this is just not the correct term and i i used to um get in more sort of spats um about this stuff but i just realized in the end there is there's no telling someone who's already made up their mind and and I just politely go now, okay, fine, and just move on because it's just it's draining. But like I said, uh, it's it's guys. Guys are the worst for anything like that. Uh historical bits and the wrong names, guys, honestly, just the worst. <laughs> That's a very, very strange thing, but I, I recognize it as very, very true. And uh, I also recognize how futile it is to get into arguments online. Mm. There's just no way it's going to end well. No, no. I, yeah, that's something I've, I've realized uh, over the years. I, I love to discuss elements and, you know, but it's it, it's so much fun to do that. But the, the fun seems to go out of it when someone's, you know, they've clearly made up their mind and they're just they're they're talking at you and I'm thinking, okay, you don't really want to discuss this. You're just angry and you know, you just want to get something off your chest. But frankly, you know, my social media is pretty good for that. I don't get too much of it now. Um, it used to be emails, but now 
see when i started uh close on film you know i think twitter had only been going like a year or maybe not even that and the whole social media interaction was done more with comments on on my website and people emailing me it was all comments you know people would leave comments under articles and things like people don't really do that so much now they just find you on social media and get you on there um so it's kind of it's changed i think just give you a good telling yeah yeah they always do (laughs) (laughs) now i sense a very clever way to sort of bring us into our main topic today you mentioned guys and you mentioned crombies guy ritchie and his crombie coat yeah it's uh well it was his like he had an alfred dunhill coat that he wore back in the day like 20 years ago um cashmere i think it was um and he he was he used to be seen in it a lot um and it was kind of known it was like his go-to you know it was it was him creating this kind of gangster aesthetic um for himself and then putting it into his movies um which he, i mean he he's got a lot to answer for because you know you look at his movies and you know you got these well-dressed gangsters and you know, you go back 20 years, something like Lockstock, um, Snatch, and, you know, that's his gangsters in his films look a certain way. But if, you, you know, if you'd spent any time in London looking at actual gangsters, you know, they're, they're running around in tracksuits and, you know, Nike Air Max and baseball caps, you know, they don't look like that. It, it's a fantasy. So his were more the sort of gentleman gangsters or were they more looking like what he would be? looking like if he was a gangster yeah i believe so it's the i mean this when he started his films obviously are they came along at the same time or perhaps indicative of a a, a lad culture um certainly in the uk was was massive at that time and it's it's this idea i think that he, he he was obviously into you know, old gangster movies and the, the, the guys in the old gangster movies, you know, Cagney, people like that, they're all very much defined by their clothes. They're kind of tough guys wearing sort of loud outfits, um, but very smart still. And I think in his mind, he wanted to tap into what a nostalgia um, because there was a lot of nostalgia. The late nineties was just a huge nostalgia thing. It was all, cool britannia and a lot of looking to the 60s um this whole lad culture that was springing up around that i think what he was trying to do is go okay let's tap back into the golden age of the tough guy london gangsters you know the craze in their cool suits and you know it's a very romanticized nostalgic look of crime um you know that oh you could walk around the streets at night and the old ladies could go shopping and it was all you know it was all very much like oh it's not like that now you know it, it, it the criminals were you know they were bad but they loved their mums and it was all this kind of like you know it was it was so much it, it was really silly nostalgia um in a way but it, it still it still exists now but i think what he was doing was wanting to bring certainly that sort of mod style into his movies as kind of the how he wanted the epitome of the gangster to be and i think it's it may he made an accessible version of that that people or the people that watched his films and still watch his films could emulate 
Now, you mentioned lad culture a couple of times. Could you say a few words about what exactly that was? Because I think that was a quite specifically British thing. Yeah, I mean, sort of having essentially, you know, lived for it, I would have been, uh, what, about 20 or something like that, around about the time. It, it was it was the lads' magazines. It was magazines like uh, Loaded, um, FHM. Um, though it, it was this whole time of it was like it, it it was the i wouldn't say like it, it was like bad lads it was it was just more it was more the rise of a bit like the rise of the teenager in in the 50s and the 60s the, the lad culture was more okay guys can have a magazine that has health bits in it and you know beauty bits in it and fashion in it and it was to to have that accessible to men of that time i think it had to be dressed up in a certain amount of toughness um you know lad you know you you can mm. you, the, the the guys that, that read these magazines and I, I read them as well we had to feel that um that we were okay to read them and not be seen as soft so i think it was it i mean right or wrong and i i, I looking back on it, it seems incredibly silly but I think the lad culture grew out of, a, of, of men being more in touch with all sides of themselves, but to protect from that, this lad culture had to be, you know, it had to be tough. Everything was tough, and you know, the, the, the magazines always had the lady of the moment on the front, and you know, it was all it was it was all very red blooded geezers, um, and it just it came along, and it seemed to last a few years. And it's still here now. We still, you know, they still have the lad culture, but um, I, I don't believe it's 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 a term that, that even lads would like to to use anymore now. Um, but yeah, it just seemed to be at the time it was everywhere, you know. And it was all this looking back. It was all so it was very sixties. All very nostalgic about the cities. All Michael Caine and Get Carter and you know geezery and tough and it, it was yeah it sprang out of i think largely um the magazines at the time which i don't think even a loaded fhm or any of them are really going anymore i don't even think they're online and yeah. um, they, they disappeared and at the same time i think what wasn't all the metrosexual stuff and the manscaping and all that an issue <laughs> that, which is yeah. very laddish no that's it. What, what was it well i i you know it's I think they had to 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 dress it up in in it, to 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 make it acceptable um, to men because men were getting interested in this. You know, I I was getting interested in all this, and it was you know you wouldn't have had Harry Styles twenty years ago. It just he wouldn't he wouldn't have existed, um, and it, it was men were still too afraid to allow that side of themselves out, um, and I think. Yeah, like you said, the, the you know the metrosexual thing, and I, I think is that still a term now? I don't know. I think it's, I think what a lot of these things are just, it's just men, just guys now. You know, um, they don't need perhaps all these terms applied anymore. We're just who we are. Um, it feels to me anyway. I, I'm, I'm more than happy uh, to see the back of lad culture, but I still enjoy watching like you know the guy Ritchie movies from the time and because it's nostalgia like i said i lived for it it's it's nostalgia so and we always we always look at things in the past with a sort of 
rosy tint, don't we, generally? Mm. I suspect lad culture would uh, crash quite dramatically with today's uh, gender-neutral respect for all and so forth. Yeah, exactly. It's it's um, yeah. I don't I don't even understand how something like that could exist now. Like I said, the magazines for a start. It's just. I mean, it's a good thing, you know. I I I like. Um, but you know, to get to where we are now with the sort of you know more openness and respect for how people want to identify um, and genders, we had to go through the other first. You you everything's a process, so to get to where we are now we needed that culture to it's part of the steps you know and who knows where we're going next but everything's a process i think hmm. so swerving back to lock stocks and uh, i forget which year that initially came out uh, 98 i believe yeah 98 so that was bang in the middle of lad culture yeah it was yeah it was totally it defined and was defined by lad culture definitely and a, a Cray twins for for the time. So, what what sort of costumes defined Lockstock? Well, I I mean, for me, um, it was it came out of again. I'm saying the '60s and a sort of look of a mod look, um, and it's the idea of of taking part bits from the the say the 60s and um and sort of dressing them down a bit so the guys wearing them don't feel too outlandish and you know foppish it's i it was a lot of you know wearing suits but pairing them with with polo shirts for a start that became huge at the time that was just such a look it's like you, you want to wear a suit um but depending on obviously what you do for a living, you don't really want to feel like you're going to work in the evening. You know, you want to be able to put a, a suit always looks good, but how do you, how do you make it casual? And it was a, they, a lot of lock stock looks. You can see it's so many polo shirts. Oh my God. There's so many polo shirts, really nice ones, really knitted, you know, knitted 60s style polos. Um, you know, nothing too larry as far as the, the, uh, lapel size is concerned. Um, and a lot of, looking back to yeah british 60s style and making it casual i think was was the look from that and you got to remember at the time um i can remember buying i think it was fhm it might have been the other one might have been loaded but opening up the magazine and having a there was a whole feature on lock stock and getting the look of lock stock you know it was the dress like the lock stock lads uh, it was a big thing it really was it, it wasn't like we're just looking at it now and going oh you know wonder if we took a lot of notes to that we did it was it was in the magazines people people wanted the look and it was it was quite easy to do you know you just like i said it's a polo shirt and a suit and you're pretty much halfway there um but it, it made I think guys want to dress up and sometimes these lads that watch these movies would have been afraid to dress up, but now they've watched the Guy Ritchie movie, you know, Lockstock and the guys on it. I mean, every, everybody in his films that he allows to have that kind of vainness or if you like, and flamboyance with their clothing has to also be, you know, hard, uh, you know, it's okay. You can wear the shiny suit and, you know, the, the mustard colored, um polo shirt that you know your dad would have taken a mick out you for it's all right because a person wearing it 
is, is duffing someone up on the screen. So that it's hard. You're all right. It's I, I can wear that. I'm fine. And I think that legitimized it. His is sort of his uh his gangster guys um, being hard and duffing people up. Um, legitimized wearing louder, more adventurous clothing for guys. I think that's what Lockstock started. Um, in my mind, before then, it it, it did it create. I mean, Stephanie. Um, is it Stephanie Coles? I think who did the the original costumes for Lockstock. I think she also went on to do the first series of the TV series, um, Peaky Blinders, which is another obviously hugely influential uh, program on uh, guys dressing, guy fashion. Um, so she, I think she she created a whole look there. And it lasted for a while, and it, it still lasts now. I think you could wear most of what you see in Lockstock now, um, and it'll be fine. You know, it's a look. Um, but I think it's, apart from maybe some of the shoes, which are quite hideous, um, they had these sort of the, the black square-toed things with, oh, some of them are not nice, like the chucker boots. <laughs> so apart from some of those, um, I think you'd probably get away wearing it now it's it's pretty tight it sounds like it's sort of a, a classics redefined and made into something of their own and of course we can't get away from the overcoats yeah they're they're a big a big part of uh well lockstock and especially snatch um which was made in uh 2000 i think so it's you know, it's just a continuing theme, you know, although we may have, you know, we moved forward a little bit, it's still pretty laddie. And the, the league guys in that, you got Jason Statham and uh, the other fella, I can't remember his name, but they've both got the, the long overcoats on. Um, these are like the cashmere ones. Um, and when, when you look through uh, Guy Ritchie movies, look through the photos, just go back through them. You can see so many of the characters just they love an overcoat. You know, it's 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 something about you know overcoats look they they create a certain silhouette that he always trying to to create in his films. You know, the guys they look you look kind of tough in an overcoat. Um, you know, it's all it's it's why, like I said, I, I mentioned Peaky Blinders. You know that is another thing that made overcoats huge again. Everyone wanted, you know, it's the silhouette of it billowing behind you when you walk. Um, but yeah, it, it lock, stock and snatch especially. Um, and then when he revisited the uh, the genre a few years later for rock and roller, again, overcoats. Yeah, it's it's a, always been a big thing. If you can get one with a velvet collar on, all the more Guy Ritchie, definitely. I think I do have one with a velvet collar. <laughs> <laughs> I can do some right. cosplaying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah same definitely mm. so would you like to say anything more about Lockstock or should we move on to Snatch um, yeah let's uh, yeah let's move on to Snatch definitely um, well they're, they're companion pieces in my my view but yeah it was sort of like Lockstock version 2 but uh, faster and snappier and uh, even more Guy Ritchie I suppose yeah, he perfected his craft more. Yeah, it's lock stock two if you like. It's um, it's for my money, it's a better movie. Um, he's having a bit more fun with it. It doesn't seem to be. I mean, he had more money. Obviously, it's got it's got Brad Pitt in it for a start, so he managed to um, obviously managed to get a bigger actor in it. But I think yeah, that the style of that 
it is a very much a continuation of, of what you see in log stock is a lot of Ronex, um, you know, a lot of, it's got a lot of hats. He does, he does like his hats, you know, those, uh, finger me hats of time, like the leather, um, it's like a flat cap, but made out of leather. Um, and again with the, with the overcoats, um, and it, it's very much a continuation of, of that sixties again, sixties style. Um, I mean, you got, Jason Statham's character in it, who is a sort of well, dodgy geezer. I mean, he runs. I think in the in in the story, he runs like a amusement arcades, and he also does manages uh, 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 promotes a boxer or two. He does a bit of a geezer, does a bit of all this and that, and he's so smartly dressed. You know, he's got the overcoat on a uh, the cashmere coat, and he's always got a shirt on and the trousers, and I. If you've ever peered into the world of, of, of sort of low-level boxing promotion, you know, these guys don't look like this. You know, it's such a romanticized, you know, a guy that uh, manages, you know, an arcade or something is not going to look like this guy. Um, but in Guy Ritchie movies, they do. They somehow, they, they, he, he wants to elevate the, these people who are essentially just sort of petty criminals um into a sort of to give them a status and their clothing gives them the status um very much so and and it's in marked contrast of course to the the characters in it the quote unquote pikeys um that that uh, he encounters and uh with brad pitt and it's so essentially the, the traveling community um but of course they're dressed essentially you know in tracksuit bottoms and and mismatched tops and goodness knows what um and you you put them next to statham and obviously it's just a totally marked contract a complete difference and they mock him in it in the movie they they mock him because they meet him once on the uh, uh they have a meeting the uh, brad pitt and his his gang on a field um and him and his companion statham and his companion have got like bags over their shoes um, so they don't get them dirty. <laughs> so they're standing, of course, they're laughing at them because they've got these like bags tied around their shoes so they don't get them all muddy. And it, they, they sort of mock him. It's it's a little bit more mocking, I think, uh, in, of perhaps the lad in general. Um, I think maybe that was Guy Ritchie just starting to grow up a little bit more um, and understanding that, you know, you can, you can mock the lad a bit. You, you don't have to all praise the lad. Right. Uh, I did uh, hear something about the Brad Pitt uh, thing because it wasn't Guy Ritchie who wanted Brad Pitt in the film. It was actually Brad Pitt who'd seen Lockstock and wanted to be in the film, but they had a hard time finding the right part for him. So they thought, well, he can be the traveling guy. And they had him doing a sort of voice, voice coaching and uh, accent and all this. But as it ended up, no one could understand a word he says in the film. <laughs> <laughs> which becomes a brilliant part of it all, really. It, it's a, yeah, it's a running joke. It's sort of tone like this, you know, and then, I don't, and then, like, isn't he going, what? And then it, it comes up in a film with um, Stephen's character going, it's not English, it's not Irish, it's pikey, like that. And it's, it's, it's yeah, it's obviously, it's hugely exaggerated, but it, like you said, it becomes a really funny plot point in the film. That no one can really follow what he's saying, except everyone around him can. His people 
can, but they're mm. just sort of standing there looking at him, sort of bending heads, like, what on earth is he saying? Um, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's one of my favourite Brad Pitt performances. Um, it's, it always is. It's just a joy to watch each time. He committed to that. He, I thought I read, and I've seen a photo, like a Polaroid, that he lived with a travelling community for a little while, um, probably only about a week or something. But there's there's a Polaroid of him, like, standing uh with a family you know with his his coat on um and my goodness that his the transformation of his body in that film is absolutely uh i think the kids say shredded i don't know i think that's that's maybe the term but he's, he's ridiculously like lean and uh very believable as a character actually because he's his character obviously is this amazing bare knuckle fighter which uh what is it uh, in the script? It says uh, a gypsy bare knuckle fighter that makes him harder than a coffin nail. Um, so obviously he's a super tough guy. He can basically whack people out with one punch. And rather than have him like really big, they decide to just go to totally the other way and make him sort of super lean, um, but still able to have all this power. I thought it was a really interesting. I loved his look as well. He had these, they really emphasized his, his physicality in the film by having these, his trousers, which, you know, they were so low on him. You know, they're, they're, they're probably tiny, but they were just sort of really low slung on his hips. And he had that big coat on, which just seemed, somehow made seem to make him look even even leaner. I really, I, his look in that, and he had the hat, the sort of bucket hat on as well. Um, it, arguably, his look is the, one of the most fun I've seen in a Guy Ritchie movie. I, I just really enjoy it. Mm. It was interesting as well, I think, because um, I think Brad Pitt was kind of a sort of pretty boy actor from romantic comedies at the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think just, you know, Brad Pitt in general is is a fascinating uh, actor of our times. He's arguably one of the last sort of big, great movie stars. And he, I mean, fair play to him. Like you said, he started out, I think the first thing he did was Thelma and Louise, um, which I remember seeing him in. And he, yeah, you said it was just this pretty, pretty boy uh, of, of you didn't really think you were ever going to see that much of. But he just threw himself into doing absolutely anything uh, of interest. And, I mean, some of the parts he's played over years, he's, you know, the tricky ones. You know, he's, he really will have a go at anything. Um, and I, I think that's helped solidify him as this just this, such a big movie star now uh, of the age um and doing films like that to begin with or i should say early on in his career i think really helped um that and the fact he's probably i mean he's really sort of stayed away from franchises um apart from you know the oceans movies i guess but um those were all made by the same director anyway but i think his resistance to getting involved in in big movie franchises as 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 perhaps helped him keep his choices open more, I think, as an actor. Yeah. And like I said, at that point, I mean, that, that was pretty brave. I mean, he knew that he could he could continue doing what he was doing, pretty boy actor roles, um, and have a massive career doing that. But, you know, to essentially turn around to what would have been, I should imagine, largely a, a female fan base at the time and say, yeah, and, and he, you know, and look the way he does in the movie and sound the way he does in the movie. I mean, he looks like he stinks, you know, it just looks so grubby. Um, it was a really, it was a brave, brave uh, uh, choice on his part and just to commit to it the way he did. Yeah, I'm, I'm, 
I think I've personally I've become a bigger and bigger fan of his over the years simply because of the choices he's made. Even if they don't all work, I'm, I'm fair play for you to having a go. Uh, one of the things I also like about uh, about Lock, Stock and Snatch is it's not only the the costumes that are well chosen, but the cars as well. Yeah, the old uh, Jags, the old Triumph. Uh, it's all again, yeah, mi- mixing mixing the decades a bit, but that sort of cheap flash yeah it's it's that you know like at that time you know like i said retro and nostalgia was 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 a big a big thing um it's yeah there, there's there's an old rover i think in in snatch the old one that the police used to drive years ago in this country um and like i said the little flashes here i mean those are cars that those guys likely wouldn't have had you know it's it's creating you know th- the criminals in it the way they dress the cars they drive, you know, it's it's creating a a persona that I think they're, they're, you 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 get caught in this whole like it's a paradox almost. It's like you know the criminals watch the movies and want to dress like the criminals they see in the movies, so that they sort of they're watching. You know, the petty criminals will be watching something like Snatch, and oh, we don't necessarily dress like that, but now we're going to start dressing like that, and then it gets reflected in further movies down the line because that's now how they're starting to dress because of what they've seen in movies. Um, and this goes back to like uh, you know Jimmy Cagney movies. It, it's very hard. I, I did research a while ago for a, a sort of dandy gangster article, um, and it was really hard to figure out what came first. What were the criminals of the time? You know, this is the thirties and and the twenties and the thirties. Were they dressing um, really outlandishly and really displaying all their wealth as much as, or or, or did, sorry, did they actually watch the, the movies and see Jimmy Cagney dressed like that and go, that's how we're going to dress. It was very hard to find out which came first. I'm still not entirely sure. I mean, you can go through photos of time. And yes, gangsters are generally always wanted to show their wealth um, and you know, con- conspicuous displays of wealth. But finding out what actually came first, certainly back then, is, is difficult. It's which world influences which world. Um, and it's the same with perhaps lots of areas of fashion and costume. Um, yeah, that's one thing I've always found really interesting in terms of the gangster look. Did it come from the street or did it come from the screen and then go to the street? I don't know. It just struck me that it also bled through to other areas like uh, Pete Doherty, the musician, clearly picked up on the style and the old Jags as well. Yeah, he, oh, he was such a, a – gosh, whatever happened to Pete Doherty? I don't know. Is he still – I don't know what he does saw, now. But. Saw something recently. He's living in France, I think. He's about doubled his weight, and yeah. he helps his girlfriend run something or other, I think. <laughs> and he's mainly, mainly off the drugs. Mainly off the drugs, yeah. So I think he would need to be, because otherwise I think he would be uh, long gone by now. But, yeah, he was very much um, that, yeah, like you said, the type by the old jag and, and wear that type of look. Um you know of the time um and it's i do yeah like you said about the cars the cars is is always been a thing with um guy Ritchie. i think uh anytime sort of someone has a car it's very very well it's never just no one's going to just drive you know a mondeo it's it's going to be it's going to be something that has some kind of 
throwback to the to the the, the gangster movies or, or the gangster TV series of time, things like the Sweeney and things like that. Um, you know, Grenadas and uh, you know, big you know, two liter Grenadas that chuffing out petrol and vinyl seats and um yeah, <laughs> it's yeah it, you don't really see them much now um you know simply because they're just so old these cars are, you know you can barely keep them on the road but um yeah it's definitely a thing in his movies um and it does turn up again in later on in rock and roller so he he, he does like his throwback cars mm. Now, Rock and Roller, I don't think, was ever as big a hit as the two before it, was it? No, it was. Um, it's one of those films that people have now sort of gone back to, reevaluated, and decided that this is actually really good. Um, I think at the time it was just seen, I think he'd, he'd done a couple of movies before that were just disasters. He'd gone outside the genre of the, the sort of gangstery. Uh, movies that he normally done um and i think they weren't very successful so he decided to go back and do another gangster type movie um and it was supposed to be part of a trilogy uh the, the rock and roller trilogy and the way the film ends actually sort of sets it up for the next one i think he even says at the end of the, the whatever the gang's name in it will be back um but it, it never because it was never commercially successful i don't think it ever happened uh i don't i don't think it ever will happen sadly um but yeah that was set up to be this this whole sort of epic free movie return to the 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 gangster genre thing um i I mean it's a a good movie and i think i dismissed it same as everybody else at times just another one of his you know cool gangstery movies um but when you you i'm re-watching it several times as i have done now i actually no this is this is a, a good film it's uh it's funnier um, it's a bit more self-aware. Um, at the same time, it's still got the same sort of look in it. You know, we're, we're back with the, the, the suits and the polo shirts and the turtlenecks. Um, and it, it's still very much part of that world. But um, it just feels a little bit more grown up and funnier um, for my money. It's a real shame that it doesn't seem like we're ever going to get the sequels. I think this was around the same time that he was married to Madonna, possibly. Yeah. And he lost his edge. Yeah, he's yeah. I I think I read an, an an interview a while ago from um this yeah, he was married to um yeah, he would have been married to her then, wouldn't he? Yeah. So it was about two thousand and eight, I think, when he made Rock and Roller. But he was talking about fashion um and his he said something along the lines of, you know, Madonna or, or her indoors or whoever he referred to her at the time um, would have me dressing like really fruity if she could. She me, we're really fruity or something, you know, he was giving it all like it was very, you know, very aware of, of sort of terrified of, of, of not being sort of, you know, gangstery macho. I don't know if that changed as he got much older. I think his films have got more mature um but whether or not it, it was this so it was clearly that reflected in his movies that he he wanted these guys to sort of have a flamboyance but you know not too much i don't want them being fruity you know you can just imagine him saying that on the looking at the costumes like ah, that's all right it's a bit bit fruity that tie or something like that i can just imagine him <laughs> being like that um certainly in the early days 
is Guy Ritchie the sort of Cockney bag boy that he sort of tries to portray himself as? No, not at all. He's, he, I mean, at the time, he's a, I think he's what you call a, a mockney. Um, that was a term that, that sprung up around him and uh, the chef, Jamie Oliver, as well, is referred to as a mockney. He, he, he likes to think he's sort of part of the sort of tough East End gangstery odd sort of London but really from where I understand I think he grew up in Hertfordshire somewhere um and he's he's from money um he just wanted to be part of that world um and you know arguably he he, he created as much of that world as he wanted to be part of but yeah he's no he's no tough guy like Cockney Geezer but he does anytime you're in an interview he's all yeah he's giving it all that you know just a, just a bit of the accent, but really probably would be fairly. I, I think, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure it's from the home counties, um, almost certain, and from money. <laughs> but there must be some crazy story as to how he came to be married to Madonna. I've no idea how that happened. I, but, I, uh, can you imagine? I, I just can't even, like, the meeting. Like, I know she was at the time very much into things in, in uh, you know, in the UK, London and all that. She was very much... I think she very much fancied herself as being this sort of uh, titled lady in England or something like that. She was sort of flirting with that whole thing about living in London, you know, Chelsea and all that sort of thing. It was, I think it was a bit of a fad for her at the time. And he, he obviously sort of slotted quite nicely into the world, um, you know, with his sort of cockney, mockney charm and all that. But I just, the first meeting just baffles me. It's uh you know, oh, you know, oh, oh, Jay, hey, by the way, have you met Madonna? All right, how you doing? And then she's, I just can't imagine how she went, oh, wow, yeah, this is great. Yeah, we should see each other again. But I, I've got no idea. I'd love, wouldn't that just be the best TV series or something, just to see how they met, just <laughs> when Madonna met Guy, I would love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I guess that sort of put a changed his perspective because his next films were the Sherlock Holmes films. Yeah. Which, I, I, I think which, I, we're, we're, that, this is where I go totally Christopher Laverty because I'm not paying attention to the films because the costumes are brilliant. Yeah. They, they are delicious. They are absolutely, I mean, I think, yeah, his, his film, the, the film we done after rock and roll, it was the first Sherlock Holmes, I think. Um, and, yeah, from, from they're brilliant movies. They are actually brilliant movies. They're so enjoyable. But oh my goodness, they they the costume. I mean, the costume is brilliant. It's 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 both it's accurate, but at the same time, it's it's having a lot of fun with that era's clothing. Um, and it's the the fabrics. Um, I just yeah, I, I remember I wrote a couple of articles at the time. It was when uh, the start of sort of clothes on film um, and they were so popular. I interviewed uh, the costume designer of the movies and they were so popular. Everyone wanted, where did you get, what type of coat is this? Where did, is this? But, you know, everyone was really into the details of it. It's so much tweed. It was just so much tweed and, and like, yeah, wonderful tweed. And, yeah, just the fabrics. Are just, oh, and I really enjoyed what, what they did with it. And, you know, the Jude Law was generally more buttoned up in it. Um, and his uh, Downey Jr.'s Sherlock Holmes, obviously, was this kind of dandy Sherlock Holmes, you know, who, again, with with Richie movies, and this is, like I said, it's a theme that runs through, I would say all of them is, like, he can dress like a sort of dandy type in it, and, you know, uh, 
wear bold colors and things like that. Um, but he has to duff people up as well. So, you know, he's hard. You know, his Sherlock Holmes is is tough. So he can dress a bit like that. And it seemed as okay. I, I could just see Richie being very much like, yeah, we, he can, you know, we can put him in all these slightly dandyish clothes because he's knocking someone out in the next scene or something like that. It's always, I, I think it's just a, a him still being slightly terrified of that, of, of, of not appearing tough. Um, but yeah, no, just well, absolutely wonderfully costumed films. It's such a shame. They, they should have got Oscars, but it's just those just mainly because it's menswear as well. They don't, they're just not seen, not as recognized by the Academy, sadly. Mm, it's strange because I, I have these sort of vivid images in my head of all the waistcoats and, uh, well, as you say, the fabrics and so forth. It's hard to find good photos online because you sort of watch the films and it's just alive and it is brilliant. Yeah, yeah it's it's so fast moving. Um, I mean, when I wrote the articles uh, a few years ago, it was it, it was really difficult to actually find ones to sort of illustrate what I was talking about. Um, you know, because yeah, it's so fast moving, and these cameras all frenetic and all over the place, and jump, 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 zip, zap, zip, um, which works really, really well for those movies. Um, uh, they are really enjoyable, uh, very, very good um, in terms of sort of rebirthing Sherlock for a new sort of a new audience. Um, and I know we're getting another one, I believe, um, but sadly, Richie's not doing it. I think. Uh, I think oh, it's, it's um, I think the the actor, well, actor and now director Dexter Fletcher is actually doing the the third one. Who was also he was obviously a, a pretty main character in uh, main actor in Lock Stock. So it, it, they're all yeah, he was he was um, uh, I can't think of his name in it. I think he was a chef in it. Um, that was his sort of trade in the film. But yeah, now he's he sort of um, as director. The guy who stored the money in the in the oven in his kitchen. In the oven in the kitchen. That's the guy. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. Um, and now he's directing the third uh, Sherlock Holmes movie, which I, I hope and soon will have a similar eye to hopefully get the same costume designer again, um, Jenny Bevan, um, who – she actually went on to win an Oscar for Mad Max um, a few years later. Uh, she did the, Mad, the the recent Mad Max movie. But uh, if they get her again, I mean, just continue that whole look. I, and for me, I even like the, the clothes in the second one, uh, perhaps even more. Um, it goes even like she, she has so many like lovely details that she puts in, like the scarf um, that Jude Law um, wears in it in the second movie. It's, I asked about it because it didn't seem to really fit anything. And she said, oh, in my mind, she said it was his, his, uh, his fiance had knitted him this scarf. Um, and it, it didn't really go with his look and he probably didn't really want to wear it, but it, she just put it on as this kind of like, just a, a nice way to sort of bring, you know, relationships into, into clothing. And, uh, I thought it was such a, a fun idea. And, and it's what's so interesting about that, that, period as well is the the way the clothes were worn then obviously were you, you it wasn't just sort of you just put a suit on for the day there would be you know you, you would have suits for different periods of the day sometimes or, or formality in events um so people would change their clothes a lot more 
And I do think they show that in the film. I mean, there are a lot of outfit changes. Um, anytime there's a, a restaurant scene, uh, they dress for dinner. Um, something I really miss now, you know, this sort of formality of dressing, um, dressing codes and, and you know, dressing for um, having like a morning outfit, essentially. And then, you know, a, a, a sort of day suit and then dressing for dinner. And they reflected that in the films very well, I thought. Um, mm. And like I said, so much tweed. I just had a quick check to see what his scarf actually looked like. And it's a sort of stripy knitted woolen scarf, a bit like early Doctor Who, Harry Potter-ish. Yeah. Yeah. She, um, I remember her telling me she wanted it to look, yeah, like homemade. So it's never brought up in it. No one ever says, oh, where's your scarf from? It's just a little, little thing that if you don't notice the scarf, or really question it it doesn't matter but if you do it's a fun little detail you know it's that's why i why i love costume it's little things like that just little details that can get thrown in and then you know i can ask about later and it's like oh right you did there's hardly anything ever appears on screen in terms of costume without some thought behind it if if something looks odd or out of place there's going to be a reason for it like the scarf It strikes me that Watson is more the sort of suit and great coat, and obviously his scarf. Whilst Holmes is more in his fighting tweeds or yeah, yeah he's, his pugilist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's like non-conventional in every way, and that's obviously reflected through his through his clothing. Like he never wears anything. I'm trying to think at any point in any of the movies where he's actually dressed in what essentially he should be dressed in. Um, I think at the end of the second movie, he attends a formal dinner, um, correctly dressed, if I remember rightly. But um, other than that, he's he's never quite like it, it's almost as if it puts the, the outfit on as it, it should look for the for the Victorian gentleman, and then just changes bits of it. Just like I'll throw that out, play this, you know, buttons open on his shirt, and uh, you know the sleeves hanging out of the bottom of the, the jacket sometimes, and things like that. It was. It's just a more sort of romantic view. Uh, it, it's sort of foppish, romantic, dandyish Victorian type, as opposed to um, Watson, who well, Watson's a doctor. You know, he's he dressed. I, mean, he, I love his clothes in it. You know, he's a. Uh, you know, he can fight as well and does all that, but he's you know the the sort of uh, the straight guy to um, you know the crazy Holmes, if you like, um, and, and, and very much with. And of course, he wears the the bowler hat in it, um, which is just. I, I wish I could pull off that hat. I just it's such a good hat, but it's not easy. Hats are tricky, and I have been wondering about a bowler, which really? does make me wonder how much of those looks do you think have sort of bled through to actual menswear, and are there people making that sort of stuff these days? I think. Uh, I, I think at the time it it sort of it I. I bled into to men's fashion for the you know for winter and things like that you started to see tweeds there was articles about a lot of tweeds starting to pop up um you know anytime tweed comes around again is, is always brilliant but i think it started there, there was sort of rising people looking for that type of clothing online i used to get a lot of messages asking you know where can i find stuff like this that you see in the film and that there really wasn't that many retailers um that were sort of selling specifically things like that unless it was for historical you know reenactment um i remember uh sending a lot of people to i don't know if you know the the 
the company, uh, Old Town, um, yeah. said a lot of that type of stuff. Um, it was expensive, um, but it's very nice. Um, and, you know, that was there was like that company and a few others. Really, you know, a handful of others are, are really the only places you could find that type of, of clothing like you saw in the movie. And I don't think that's actually changed that much if I look. I mean, there are you, you can find more now. But I think at the time it was it was a case of you had to go hunting around and put this look together yourself, which is kind of fun. You know, it was uh, the influence. I don't think it was hugely influential. I think it was a stepping stone. I don't think with without the looks that you saw in Sherlock Holmes, the movies, um, I don't think the same amount of thought would have gone into the looks in, say, Peaky Blinders, the TV show, which is arguably a lot lot more influential in terms of of men's fashion certainly younger men's fashion but I, I don't think i don't think that that would have they would have paid as much attention to that type of look in uh, peaky blindness if if sherlock holmes hadn't done it first filmmakers obviously you know the program makers sorry obviously looked at it and thought okay this is a big deal people want to look like this you know we can we can do more with it you know it, it's they made it a, a little bit more accessible for the TV show. And obviously Sherlock Holmes look is, it's very Victorian, you know, it's to wear that look. Um, you've got to commit, I would say a lot more than say the Peaky Blinders look, which is a lot easier for the, for the young lads to throw on an overcoat and, you know, hobnail boots and, you know, the, uh, um, the shirt without the detachable collar and that type of thing. And a, and a, and a a flat cap and you're pretty much you know that's the look mm. braces and stuff but with with sherlock holmes it's, it's quite a lot more involved in it yeah uh, about uh, peaky blinders and the clothes i mean i think they were so aware of the fact that the clothes would be a thing that the the guys behind peaky blinder made their own clothing company to supply clothes yeah under the same name um one of the things that strikes me about the sherlock holmes clothes though is that what makes them look so good is that they're so obviously well used they're not new so you you'll be looking for stuff in the shops to emulate that look but you won't find it because yeah it's new versus properly worn exactly exactly that the only time you're going to find things like that is you're gonna to have to get on get on ebay and places and find things that people have, have you know had for years it, it, you buy a new i'm sure you know you buy a new tweed jacket and it takes you've got to essentially break these clothes in they, they feel stiff you know the, the fabrics are heavy and got a mold to you um and like you said the, the clothes in in sherlock holmes they, they look lived in you know they were distressed slightly a little frayed some of the things were um and you know everything the fabric felt like someone had worn those trousers many times and sat down in them many times you know and the, the fabric had given they just they felt lived in and of course this is a time when you know people would be buying clothes to last you know a long long time you know as long as they possibly could um people weren't it's not fast fashion like like today um their the clothes would have been yeah they were worn for, for a long period of time and i think yeah you're right if you try and buy that sort of style of clothing now it can look very it needs to be lived in you know it, you need to sort of wear it for a bit to to stop it having that that kind of a sort of out of the shop stiffness um particularly tweed it's something i i hate if i get new things um i i 
I, of, I will often wear things indoors um, to sort of break them in before I'd actually wear them out just because I, I don't feel comfortable necessarily um, in wearing new clothes that just haven't sort of fitted to my body yet, if you understand what I mean. Of course, you could do it the Sherlock Holmes way, just go out and get into lots of brawls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I tried that, but, um, you know, I just was getting beaten up a lot, so I just didn't seem to work. <laughs> 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 okay so that's the two sherlock Holmes films um from there he went on to the man from uncle which i have to admit i don't think i've ever seen oh my goodness you have not seen a man from uncle this is right this that's your homework for today um is go go away and um, and watch that <laughs> and then we'll talk again i don't i don't want to talk too much about because you haven't seen it it's, it's wonderful sartorial beauty it's probably the you know it's the the one the guy Ritchie, the best dressed guy Ritchie movie i guess most people would probably call it um it is gorgeous to look at it's it's just lovely 60s spyware suits very very suity um and it was a tricky film in a way for um jonah johnson the costume designer because at the time henry cavill had just signed on to play superman for the first time um so it was bulking up massively to be superman and his character in the movie obviously comes he, he's he's not he's supposed to be smaller than army harry army hammer's character who's supposed to be the sort of big guy in it um but he's huge cavill and you know they tried their best to hide his size i think with the suits though i do think the shoulders are perhaps a little too pronounced but Maybe that's to give him a slimmer waist. I'm not sure. But he it's very obviously very hard to, to dress a guy with Superman's build in in sort of 60s style suits and not have him look like, you know, Daniel Craig in most of the more recent Bond movies. You know, I, I think that's one of the nice things they did in it. It's the suits, although are slim on him, they're not tight. They're not silly um you know they're, they they're, they're very much classic in terms of, of in terms of fit and it's just a beautifully some of the, the suits have lovely little details that, are, that richie's more than happy to pick up on um you know the, the, right down to the shoes there's like you know there's the, the semi brogues and you've got gauntlet cuffs and little things popping in here and there into shot and you can tell that richie clearly was really enjoying portraying the, the the really well-dressed 60s spy on screen you have to watch it you really do it's it, it was a i think it was a box office failure that again with richie it seems to happen so often with him that since people have been revisiting it and actually going oh no it was great why can't we have a sequel uh, and i know this just by being on twitter every time i I do a rewatch. I often post on Twitter about it. And everyone's going, Oh yeah, I love that. Gosh. Yeah. When's he going to do a sequel? And it doesn't seem like it's probably ever going to happen. Um, but it's, it's a really fun movie and just really well-dressed movie. Um, and again, it's got cool cars in it. So you're like that. So was this the place where Guy Ritchie sort of discovered Savile Row or moving, I, yeah. moving West? Yeah. It, it's, it's where, I mean, it's, the formality of dressing uh, in the film is such that, I mean, because it, it's a period piece, obviously. So there's the, the he has to approach it differently. He can't can't dress the same way as, as something like lock stock, you know, where, where you can just have fun and essentially create 
his own look for the time. He had to reflect the period. Um, the period isn't completely accurate. I think it's set in about 63. Most of the looks to me look like they're probably tumbling towards the end of the 60s more than the early 60s. Um, but I have to appreciate his commitment to making it incredibly sharp and just wonderfully well-dressed all the way through. And it is just everything's polished in it. And the women's wear is absolutely astounding in it as well. Um, arguably as good or, or better in the men's. But every single thing is so shiny, the movie. It's just such a shiny movie. It's There's a Vespa that pops up in it, and it looks, you know, it's such a shiny Vespa, and everything's so... You know, it, it, it's not real. It's not a real interpretation. It's it's an interpretation of, of 60s spies on television and film. It's not an interpretation of actual 60s spies, I don't think, anyway. Because mm, mm. they probably want all sort of super handsome, super ripped. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As well, I don't know how, like, the, the, the characters in these afford the clothes they wear um you know how <laughs> i don't know the, i don't know what a spy salary is or was but i i can't imagine it's you know that generous as far as getting savile row suits is concerned but you know bonds always had this problem as well so yeah yeah so moving on to uh, another huge change of uh, pace and scenery and well historic setting with king arthur <laughs> Yeah, that's. Um, have you seen King Arthur? I haven't. It's I'm, it's on my list. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous. It's it's not a good movie. Um, it's not. It's enjoyable, um, but it's it's not something like uh, um, you know, Man from Uncle is enjoyable and actually a good film. This this is enjoyable and pretty terrible. Um, but I know costuming is wild in it. It's um, yeah, it's you, you've got. Charlie Hunnam uh, wearing this long shearling coat in it as King Arthur. Um, and some of the, I, I actually spotted a beanie hat in it. One of the guys had on. Yeah. It's got some really wild costuming that he must've just, I don't know what his, the brief was to the costume designer, but it must've been, you know, like have it like a bit accurate, but really I, I want it to look cool. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre movie uh, and bizarre. Uh, as I understand it, that's a bit like the storyline as well, because it's not really, it was criticized a lot for not being the accurate King Arthur story. No, it goes off in all sorts of directions. It's got, um, it, it's, it's, it is fun. It's a, it's a fun movie. And like, I, I really enjoy the costuming of it simply because there would be no point in trying to, to dress that film in a historically accurate way because the story is so ridiculous. It just wouldn't fit. It's, you know, if you're going to go crazy with every, I mean, the score, the music, that's, you know, everything's so over the top and um, out of sync with the story that's being told that it works. The costumes actually do work in the film. But like I said, just look out for the, for the beanie hat on one of his crew, which is just hilarious to me. It's like an actual a proper beanie king arthur beanie <laughs> right. obviously no cars there so uh nothing there no either. no 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 cars but i i think they've they got sort of some pimped up you know horse and carriage things or something I, I, it, the whole thing it just yeah it's truly bizarre but i i recommend watching it but 
yeah it's um sort of well tasty chariots <laughs> yeah go on here pimp it up a bit give it give it a couple of wheels yeah <laughs> just imagine it yeah it's just yeah it's very guy richie out there so that sort of brings us through to his latest film which i have seen several times and i absolutely love it the gentleman yeah that's that's a sort of feels very much a return to form um it's like, yeah, I know I can appreciate what Richie does. He's probably like, I, I want to do more and just sort of gangstery films. I can do more than those. And it's like, you can, but you're good at them. So just maybe stick to what you, this is a, one of his, I mean, it's say the, 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 it's so beautifully dressed, isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's such a stylish movie. Um, and he's having more, he's having more fun with clothes in this, you know, the suits that Matthew McConaughey wears, I very much doubt in, in his early years he would have allowed his characters to, to dress in something quite so loud and, and you know, fruity. yeah, a bit fruity, but you know, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Yeah. It's the, the checks and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's beautifully tailored and very wearable um, and funny too. I mean, there's the uh, Colin Farrell in it um, and a gang, the, 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 the fighters that he's, training or of the mma fighters and they all got these hideous track suits on um and the cap and the thing is though that's actually pretty accurate you know that's actually you know richie thinking okay that is probably how these guys probably would dress okay not so much like his cool sort of gangster characters but they probably would wear something similar to these these rise of these very like designery tracksuit things that i see popping up everywhere um, I, I keep getting adverts for them on Instagram from dodgy places in China wanting to sell me the gentleman tracksuits. <laughs> no idea why. <laughs> yeah, I, it's 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 a tough look to pull off. Um, the rest of the clothes are like it, all the other characters in it. It's uh, Charlie Hunnam's character wears some just really nice knitwear. Um, you know, it's it's a little fun. It's you know, it's. Um, you know, it's a little kooky, some of the things, but by and large, it's just really nice quality menswear and separates. And it's just nice clothing. And it has that gangstery feel um, in a way. All, all his stuff um, does. It just can't help it because it comes with the Guy Ritchie territory. It's always going to feel like that anyway. Um, but yeah, like you said, if you've seen it several times, I have myself. I just, I love revisiting it. It's, it's such a nice film to look at. that I just like having it on to look at it if you understand what I mean. Uh, it's also back to his way of telling stories where the different threads sort of intermingle and the fast cutting and yeah. it's a great, great way to tell a complicated story. Yeah. Cause it, it is as, as complicated as, as any of his others in this uh, genre. Um, and you, you said it zips about all over the shop. It's uh, you know, it, it doesn't really, you, you can't really watch it in a sort of linear way. Um but, and he's, he's got the music in it as well. And I think, uh, I don't know if it has a Jag in it, but I know there's a cool car in there somewhere. I know, I know there's a, there's a, there's a Range Rover, which he's, uh, uh, I guess is a sort of modern, his sort of modern gangstery car, but I'm sure there's another car in it and I can't place it in my mind. Um, but definitely a Range Rover. Right. There is uh, there is uh, her workshop, her garage, which is full of uh, sports cars, but I can't think of any vintage cars in it or any oh, sort of uh, classy ones. But um, 
Charlie Hunnan, yes. I mean, he is my favorite character in it mm. because, like you said, the knitwear, the glasses, the sort of little beard, and yeah. he's always so calm. But then he will sort of flip and be absolutely super violent. Yeah, that that moment in it um, when he's I, I do I love as well that it's also Richie acknowledging that like like him, you know, the gangsters in these they're not young, they're not in their twenties, you know, they're probably in their forties or certainly, and and they're chasing. There's that scene where Hunnam's chasing that that kid um, who's run off. He's trying to get his mobile phone off him, isn't it? And he's run, he's chasing, he's out of breath and he's, and his kid's swearing at him as he goes along on his bike. And it's, and it's, it's kind of amusing. There's like, it's overdressed gangsters that, you know, running around in nice shoes and they can't catch these kids in the tracksuit. And then he catches up with him eventually. And he's got his little gang there and he's right. You know, just oh, I'll give you some money. Yeah, give us the, the phone like that. And eventually he's just like, Oh, fine. And he pulls out this machine gun. That's, somehow been hidden in, in, in the back of his suit uh, and it just blasts it off. You know, it just has those sudden moments, like you said, of extreme violence. But most of the time, it's just very cool, very calm. You know, it's all the, all about the nice stakes and all that. And, of course, uh, um, Hugh Grant is just hilarious in it. Um, he's just – his his character just amuses me, you know, in this sort of uh, paparazzo type um that's trying to sell his because they shape it he shapes it as a screenplay doesn't he at the beginning he's sort of saying i'll tell you a story that type of thing um it's it's, yeah it's wonderful and the soundtrack's wonderful it's um i i don't i know he's just done another film i think it's probably going to be similar with jason statham um richie is his is coming out in a couple of months um i i think it's i can't think of what it's called it's got a it's a vengeance story um, but interestingly, it's not set here. It's as far as I can tell, it's set in LA. So I wonder how the clothes will reflect that, or if he will take the sort of London gangster style to LA, or try and reflect what they actually wear out there. I don't know. I'm excited to see. It could go all Compton on us. <laughs> Richie goes Compton. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll pay for that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to see. It. He's he's keeping in his lane. So hopefully, it'll be. It, it's as much fun as the trailer looks and as much fun as the gentleman. Um, and yeah, I, as a filmmaker, I, I, I do enjoy his work. Um, I, I think he's, I wouldn't say underrated as a filmmaker, but I think sometimes a little overlooked um, in terms of his pictures can seem simplistic when we actually peel away. Um, I mean, it must be blimmin' hard to write. Some of them are just, you know, something like the gentleman, they just tie you in knots, um, but it gets there in the end. Um, so he's probably a better writer than maybe we were given credit for. I think uh, something like Snatch must be oh. incredibly complicated because yeah. you've got all these people and all these stories unfolding and yeah. merging into each other. And then somehow at the end, so, it all comes together. You know, I don't know how how he, how, how he, how he does it, but um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm a fan, definitely. I wonder how many careers richie has launched i mean was statum a known face before he was in lockstock no he was uh yeah i don't think he'd really done anything apart from modeling um he did some modeling i know that and he was uh i mean at that scene in in lockstock at the beginning where he's selling the uh uh the perfumes or the watches or whatever he's got on his little fold out table apparently he used to do that that was something he actually did so when he's giving it all the all the spiel at the beginning. Um, that was something he actually used, used to be a job for him. Um, but yeah, as far as I know, he, he just was, I think, 
wasn't he like a, an Olympic standard swimmer before then? I'm sure he he was. He he was very very good swimmer, if not Olympic standard. I think that was his thing to begin with. Um, Sounds like he might possibly be editing his own Wikipedia page. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I have to confirm that. I'm sure he was, or yeah, he was some kind of athlete. I mean, uh, something along those lines. But yeah, until until Lockstock, yeah, that that was what launched him, obviously. And he did a couple more with, uh, obviously, done a couple more with with Richie, um, and then just gone off and made a career out of you know beating people up and stuff, um, which is nice work if you can get it. Um, but yeah, loads of people have. have have done well out of you know Richie, I think. Um, you know, it's uh, it, arguably you know Robert Downey Jr. Although huge for being in the you know being Iron Man and things like that, uh, raised at one point his profile really wasn't that much either. I mean, he had all those problems with, with drugs, and no one would hire him. Um, and now look at the movie star he is. You know, it's uh, yeah, I think people do well out of Guy Richie movies. I think that might have been around the same time, sort of maybe Richie picked him up sort of after he was kind of cancelled. Yeah, I think it, 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 I'm not sure what came, if it was Iron Man or Sherlock Holmes, I don't actually know, but it was around about that time because he, he was, he, you know, he was known for that. Was He had these huge problems after uh, certainly late 90s. Um, he could, you couldn't hire him for anything because he was, yeah, unhirable. Yeah. But um, Winnie Jones, he he was in the two first ones, wasn't he? But did he come up after that? Yeah, he don't, well, I don't think Vinny had actually been in in anything before uh, before he turned up. And I mean, he's wonderful. In I mean, it's hardly really acting. It's just him sort of being tough <laughs> and wearing that big long uh, leather jacket of his. Um, no, he does. He, he there's a great line in the in at the end of Logstock which is delivered without any irony when he sort of says, he looks at the guys and he goes, it's been emotional like that. And it's, like, it's without a hint of irony. He's like, it's a bit, has it? I, I couldn't tell from your face, but it apparently has it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, they, they a lot of people do owe their, I wouldn't say their careers, but they, they certainly got a, a, a kickstart. Certainly the young lads in, Lockstock were just TV acting in small parts at that point. Um, and they've all, you know, most of them have gone on to do bigger stuff. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's, he's helped careers, definitely. So which of all the films do you reckon had the best costume design? Um, see, this is For me, the most complete um, in terms of costume design, I would say, is The Gentleman. Um, but purely from a nostalgia point of view, I also love revisiting Lockstock to see it. Um, and but really, if you're actually going for sheer beautiful quality, amazing, I would say the Sherlock Holmes. Um, but both of those are just just a feast in terms of, of costume design. Um, but I mean, they've all got they've all got bits in them that I enjoy. There's not really a, a Guy Ritchie movie. Uh, certainly in this genre we're discussing discussing sorry um that i don't can't find something i enjoy in all of them in terms of the clothing um how about you would you say the gentleman or would you say sherlock holmes i think i'd say sherlock holmes mm. um or even Lockstock, but probably sherlock holmes because whenever i see that i'm just sitting there thinking how can i possibly acquire or make or steal that stuff 
<laughs> and would I look like a total ragamuffin wearing it? <laughs> you get pretty close on your Instagram. You know, that's, that's you know, it's, you're, you're certainly in the right ballpark. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's where, that's the sort of thing I get inspiration from because uh, it just looks so good. So much um, There was another thing, um, music. Uh, that was interesting. I, I was just watching his YouTube clip yesterday where he was talking about uh, the music used in Lockstock and Snatch, I think, because all the songs are songs from his pub archive where he's been sort of noting down songs he's heard in pubs over the years. Well, these are the early years. So when they were looking for music for the film, he'd then go in his Rolodex over pub songs. And these were all songs... <laughs> <laughs> from various pubs i did i did not know that his, his his films are really well chosen in terms of the songs in there's so many scenes that you can think of um and there's that one brilliant song that opens the gentleman um says such a good find it's not an old song i can't think of the name of hand but I, I immediately like downloaded it and i keep i listen to it loads um that just really really good at picking music that not only fits the scenes, but helps them become iconic. Um, you know, lock stock, you got so many sort of Brit music hits from the time. Um, as soon as you, you know, the, the first song in it, you're like, Oh my God, it certainly takes me back. I'm like, Oh my God, this was music of the time. Um, and he's very, very good at picking tracks. I didn't know he had a pub archive though. That's fascinating. That's weird. <laughs> well, he has a pub, doesn't he? That is, uh, and you notice at the beginning of the the gentleman the, the the pint that's being pulled is his own brewery, um, his own uh, uh-huh. guy Richie is called. I don't know what it's called. Could we call Wallop or something? I don't know. But it's, it says you, you the close up of the uh, of the uh, the pint being pulled. You can see it's his beer, his own beer that he makes. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait. Like I say, I don't know what it's called bit tasty wallet probably something like that i'd have to go back and watch it <laughs> what is more laddish than that <laughs> exactly before we uh, we close uh, there was one thing that came up daniel craig what is the thing about why is daniel craig such a style icon or daniel craig as james bond i did as as far as him, I don't see him as particularly being style. Like, oh, he wears some nice clothes, um, but I wouldn't necessarily see him as, as an icon outside of the Bond movies. Um, though I'm not a huge fan of his costuming in the Bond movies at all. Um, I, 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 I'm sorry, but the suits don't fit. I'm, I will. I know you could say that they're supposed to look like that. They, they look, I, I don't understand the point of putting a very muscular man in a suit um that just makes him look sometimes he can almost look fat in them which is ridiculous because he's so fit it, i just can't understand it, the, the thought process behind it at all um the one the one film i think he looks really good in in terms of bond um and i was really hoping to keep going this way was quantum of solace um which it, he just he's really well costumed in that he's a tiny bit slimmer in that one he's not as bulked um, and the suits just fit him wonderfully. Just everything, and he wears—I think it's the first time James Bond's ever worn jeans. Um, but he wears jeans in that, and he looks really good in that. But I'm—I'm got to say, I'm not—I'm—I'm I'm not really a, a big fan of, of really anything he's—he's he's worn, apart from some of the suits in Quantum of Solace. Of really, any of his James Bond outfits. Um, 
I, I can't, I think it's the Tom. I mean, I find it really odd as well that he wears Tom Ford suits, but they don't have the Tom Ford fit. I mean, if you, if you look at Tom Ford's suits on when, when they're, mo- when, when they're seen on models, uh, you know, uh, anytime he, he does a catwalk display or something, the suits don't fit like they fit Daniel Craig. You know, it's more of a seventies fit, his ones. And they, these are just sort of, tight i just i i don't know uh, i yeah i think um i wouldn't say i wouldn't see him as an icon and i could probably complain about his his style in james bond for for a good hour so i probably should <laughs> <laughs> all right now one final question i wanted to ask uh your first book fashion and film mm. that's mainly women's costumes i think yeah mainly yeah there's some gentlemen's in there but it's mainly women i would say when's the lads version coming out i don't know there, there's 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 things in in motion but i'm reluctant to jinx them so i would just say watch this space or watch my instagram um i may have some i may have some information soon because i'd love to <laughs> love to read that <laughs> i'd love to write or, <laughs> okay christopher this was great. I'm going to go watch some more Guy Ritchie films now, like I'm sure many others will be. <laughs> Man from Uncle, you've got to start with that. Make that your next one. I will do. Okay. So uh, thanks a lot. Thanks. And uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was all for this week's episode of Gomology. Thanks to Christopher Laverty for guesting. You can find his uh, website at clothesonfilm.com and his book Fashion in Films is also available probably pretty much everywhere. I'll put some links in uh, the show notes so you can find them. My name is Nick Johannesson. I'm the host of Gomology. You can send me an email if you like at gomology at welldresseddad.com. You can find my blog at welldresseddad.com and you can follow me on Instagram as welldresseddad. And uh, you can follow Gomology at Gomology Podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you uh, left a review or a rating on Apple Podcast and uh, subscribe on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcast. really helps me um, reach more listeners. And uh, until next time. Oh, and by the way, this was actually episode number 50. So uh, happy anniversary to Gomology. See you soon. Bye bye.